0: Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh.
1: I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures.
2: We are all D&D role players and storytellers at heart. It's where we started out, and it's where we find ourselves most at home. So here in our main podcast episodes, we discuss the core rules, how to use them as written, and how to homebrew your own content to get the most out of your story. Because detailed settings, heroic characters... Vibrant NPCs and a focus on story over rules is what makes a campaign legendary.
0: Here's a message from friends of the show.
3: In a world headed for disaster, five strangers with mysterious pasts are thrown together by the winds of fate to try to stop the unseen forces that threaten to destroy their world. Join Creval, a dragonborn with no memory and no past, who is the first of the barbarians of the mountains to be seen in a thousand years. Cotter, a penniless paladin, running from something or someone in his past. No one, the only typhling monk the kingdom has ever seen, who has been expelled from his monastery for reasons he has not revealed. Adri, his monastic companion, who hides some deep dark secret she cannot reveal. And Arlen, once a simple farmer, until some mysterious event manifested sorcerous powers in him. They must travel the length and breadth of the kingdom of Faroe, searching for the disparate clues that will help them unravel the mystery of the failing of their land, while trying to hold together the unraveling threads of society's weave, threatening to come apart at any moment. They will have to battle nature, plague, politics, and even the forces of the underworld, as they attempt to discover and defeat whoever, or whatever, is attempting to poison their world and throw it into chaos. Relic of the Past is a novel-length story told via a clean, custom fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons game. Find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are found, and at PoolMedia.Podbean.com. Welcome,
0: everybody, to today's episode, gentlemen. How are you doing this fine evening? Uh, how are things down in Connecticut this uh, this fine evening?
1: At the time of this recording, things are going well among the men from. Uh... Brief illness, non COVID related, but I'm doing very well. I'm pretty excited. Jazz to be recording. I love doing this. So it's uh, pretty cool.
2: Doing good. pretty good as well. A little, uh, little tired. Started a new job. Got me uh, sleeping on a different schedule. And it's much more physical than my old man body is used to. So
0: <laughs> slightly kicking my
2: ass, yeah. but it's a yeah. good sore.
0: So tonight, we are going to be sending out an episode to our beloved storyteller listeners and our player listeners, because we are going to be talking about something that should impact every single game, and should impact every single game session at the table. These should come up at least once every game session. We are going to talk about the very broad category that is conditions. We are going to get into the conditions as they are defined in D&D 5e. We're going to talk about them a little bit about how to implement them, how to get out of them, that sort of thing. And at the end of the episode, actually, we're going to have a nice beefy discussion on probably the most versatile of the 15 conditions in D&D 5e. So we will, we will get to that in, in just a moment here. Gentlemen, let's start tonight with kind of an overview of how conditions impact the games that you play in and the games that you run. Glenn, let's start with you tonight. How do conditions rear their head in your game sessions?
2: No, no, I'm not playing this game tonight, cool. Josh. All right. not. Awesome. I cannot work under these conditions.
0: <laughs> are you so? Are you saying that you you are not charmed, but instead you are petrified?
2: Correct. That... And at the moment, ah. I am enjoying yep. our verbal grappling.
0: Yep. <laughs> I am stunned, almost to being uh, unconscious. Here,
2: that that you are uh, that you are frightened, nearly to incapacitation. But no, I'm I'm excited to be talking about conditions. I think they're a great time because I think it's really important. It's kind of an important, like, transitionary step for a storyteller when you start learning to apply more than just damage to. Challenge your players and to make your combat and encounters more dynamic and interesting because they shouldn't just be being applied to your players, they should also be, be being applied to your monsters and adversaries. Though so your players, they'll help you apply them because they'll tell you, No, that blinds them. <laughs> Don't yep. worry, they'll tell you. Yep, we um, worry, i get dark sight, but oh, yeah, I have dark vision, but yeah. uh, conditions are great and. They can be kind of a pain to track. That's the one thing I will say as a storyteller that can get a little frustrating in a large combat with a lot of conditions flying around is remembering which bad guy's blinded, which one's prone, which one's frightened and running away. <laughs> Things like Roll20 give you lots of options for little markers to yep. like put on somebody's token, but they're so tiny. I've got old man eyes. So that's, that's my so one challenge. With you've them, called yourself old. But... Yeah.
0: Yeah. I will say that, that that's one of those things that, uh, the little condition rings that you can get for in-person games that go around your figs, mm. uh, are really a game changer. I mean, it's a reason, there's a reason why we have featured them in some way, shape, or form on our our holiday wish lists two years in a row now. It's because condition rhythms are awesome. Benito
2: uses them in yeah. streams of Spiro. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I thought that they were great. That's the first time I'd seen them in play. And he, because he does his yeah. with the live yeah. fig, with actual figs and a camera. I loved him.
0: And he uses a lot of conditions. He, he very much, because conditions are closely, you know, if you're looking for how to use uh, conditions, uh, listen to our episode on legendary and lair actions, because really commonly legendary and lair actions will begin to impose conditions, because that's how advanced fights are going to go ahead and make your PCs less strong, and and give, kind of tip the balance towards your NPCs. But yeah, I, I totally am, I'm right with you, Glenn. Managing of conditions can be difficult, and so use tools. Use help right but so, they're so
2: worth it yeah find, find a way yeah. to manage it find a way yeah. to keep track of it because they are yeah. so worth bringing into your game
0: totally agree yeah. Luminica, a, i know you use a lot of conditions in your game so tell us absolutely. about that
1: absolutely yeah and as i get into that i also want to dovetail off of what you said the difference between a standard combat run-of-the-mill combat milk toast kind of combat and an advanced type of combat can very much be Conditions. When we did our encounter, our combat encounter episode, I talked about elevation and putting Mm -hmm. different terrain in there, making difficult terrain, things like that. Part of the reason for that is to create conditions generally that change what you need to do. The conditions, capital C, is what we're talking Mm -hmm. about here today. Each of them individually creates a new and dynamic kind of obstacle that your players. Have to work around, take notice of, take advantage of, or deal with the disadvantage of, depending on who's got it and who imposed it. And be aware of that. As we're talking about this, we want to keep in mind that this is how you change the battlefield in a dynamic way. But it can go either way. And every good storyteller should say, players, use these things. But they should also be saying, because you know I'm gonna. And a a great thing that I heard a a, a fellow podcaster said, we as storytellers teach players how to play our game by what we do with our NPCs and our villains. So if we use things that create conditions, they will start to use things that create conditions.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a it's definitely a next level storyteller tool in the toolbox, right? We talk a lot about how to storytell more effectively, how to run a more compelling game. You know, we had our episode on collaborative world building, we've had our, our episodes about the three tiers of the game, everything like that. Those are all kind of collaborative world building is a more advanced technique also, but at least the the discussions about the pillars of the game and stuff like that. Those are kind of fundamental how-do-you-run-a-game kind of techniques. This is the next level. This is once you're in the game and once you're doing the thing, how do you make encounters compelling? Not just how do you shape encounters and how do you balance challenge rating and stuff like that, but how do you actually make the encounters compelling? How do you make them memorable? How do you make them legendary? right? Oh, very nice. See, see what I did there. That that's absolutely conditions are one of those things that have to be in your toolbox, especially when you get bigger parties. Like if you're running, you know, if you're running eight, or so, uh, eight or more players conditions. Again, it's, it's hard to kind of shape those encounters so that they are engaging and compelling for your players. Sometimes conditions are a way of leveling the battlefield. It is a way of, of making those PCs have to fight through adversarial conditions to take on your big bads and take on their minions and stuff like that. So
1: and most importantly, it does so without increasing the number of bads that you or NPCs or villains or adversaries that you have to manage. So yep, the conditions themselves become things you have to track, but they're not things you necessarily have to manage specifically. You don't have to yep. remember what move a given condition is doing as long as you right. recognize it has been applied or it's about to be applied. When you're dealing with CR issues, uh, a condition or giving your Give homebrewing an an enemy or a stat block to include the ability to provide a condition is a great way to increase its difficulty without changing it greatly. If they have an attack, it's like, okay, it's got a slashing attack. Well, tell you what, it likes to go for the eyes. So I'm going to allow it to apply a blinded condition for one round or whatever, or two, you know, for D4 rounds or something like that that's a great way to greatly increase the difficulty of of that creature that challenge rating of that creature without changing a whole lot about it it doesn't take a whole lot to say i'm gonna give it the ability to plop on condition x and i think that's what really works well with these conditions you can really add them mix and match them with different things the caution is this don't add too many in any single encounter that can become overwhelming or you know you could always overseason the stew, so you don't want to do that yep. all the time. And mix and match; don't have it be the same condition every time.
2: Yep. And don't. And the other danger there, though, is don't don't fall into the trap of trying to defeat your players. It's not us against them. Sometimes you're going to design an encounter deliberately to challenge your players' specifics, like as an example, if they've been fighting the same bad guy organization for the last four or five sessions there's a pretty good chance that by this point, that bad guy organizations learned their tactics and might put together a team that's specifically designed to grapple the tabaxi with phenol and agility so that it can't run all over the battlefield. But if you are always grappling that tabaxi because it drives you crazy, then that person's not going to have fun at your table. Right. So, so make sure that you're keeping them buried, you're keeping them where they make sense and you're not trying to find ways to just control or, or corral your players. Yep. Totally and agree.
1: As we go through the conditions, we're going to highlight the areas of caution, like this is where you can go overboard or this is something you want to be careful of. And we'll take those one condition at a time because the same rules don't apply to every condition equally.
0: Yep. Totally agree. Okay. Let us, without any further ado, dive in here. So, we are going to, for the most part, go through the conditions in alphabetical order, for lack of a better order to go through them in. Uh, But there is going to be an exception there. And that's what I alluded to at the front of the show. Exhaustion is going to be featured at the end. And it's because exhaustion is, compared to all the other conditions that are in there, exhaustion's got the one with, it's got the most sauce, right? It's got the most, it's got the most use. And it definitely has the most nuance. And on some level, it has to be the one that you have to be most careful about because exhaustion can get squirrely in a hurry if you overuse it so we're going to save that one to the end because it's definitely going to have the most discussion on it and i'm tired of it being at the front yeah fair enough yeah that's true so we're going to start tonight with Blinded Condition, again, because B being uh, the first in alphabetical order here. And Blinded Condition really plays into the whole advantage-disadvantage mechanic in a very real way. There are two mechanics that go along with it. And the first one is that a blinded creature can't see and automatically fails any ability check that requires sight. Pretty straightforward, of course. Yeah. Right? that's it. Blinded is what blinded is. That's right? what blind you is. Know? Right. Right. The other mechanic that it comes with is that attack rolls against the creature have advantage and the creature's attack rolls have disadvantage. We have said before on this show that the advantage and disadvantage mechanic that goes along with D&D 5e is that really elegant mechanic. It it leads to success within within combat, right? Being able to instill disadvantage on other creatures and gain advantage when you're fighting other creatures is really... It's one of the easiest and best ways to be super successful. Now, the thing that you're going to have to watch out for with blinded is that there how it plays into the feats that the character has is really going to make a difference. Because, for example, you know some of them it is is really going to have a, a pretty significant impact. But if you look at like alert, for example, alert specifically says that other creatures don't gain advantage on attack rolls against you as a result of being unseen by you. If this is a case where the feat. Is is specifically protecting you against the effect of the of the of the condition that's being imposed on you. Part of it. Attack is. rolls can't have advantage. Attack rolls against you can't have advantage because you've got a feat that protects that. How about you, Lewin? How, how how does blinded factor into your table?
1: Well, at my table, it is one that I've really not used a ton because I have, I deal with a very large party. I have used conditions that obscure vision a lot. And created some disadvantages there. So, you know, snowstorms. I believe, Glenn, correct me if I'm wrong. There may have been a few points within a couple of the serious blizzards that the that the Monday night game went through, where vision was greatly obstructed. Basically, you had the blinded condition if you were trying to attack beyond ten feet or something like that. So, I, I conditional condition if that's if that's a phrase I can point. <laughs> Um, so it is something that I've used, but I have also in a couple encounters I've applied it to um, beasts that attack and swipe at other creatures' eyes. For the, uh, as I used as an example earlier in the show, so it's it's definitely something that that appears in my games. Not a lot of my characters utilize it my players, but it is something that's there. I would like to think that if I were going to be playing a monk or something like that, I might look for things that could create that. If I'm going to homebrew some feats, something along the lines of a dirty fighting, that type of thing, I like the concept of employing, using that to create conditions. So, you know, that that Bruce Willis, I uh, and this is a different one, box your ears and create deafness. Or I do an eye gouge or something like that so I get that one round of advantage against you. Those are things that I can think of would be really cool. So there's different ways that I really want to begin to add this to my game more than I currently do. I do a lot with conditions. This is just one that I have not done as much as I feel I probably could or should.
2: Yep. Cool. All right. It may not be that I had a specific feed on it, but it is one that I do use at my table. Not exclusively or excessively, but when it comes up and it's appropriate, or when an ability calls for it, there's a couple of spells that straight up do. But I'll be honest, most of the time when I create some form of an evil spellcaster or necromancer, I almost always choose blindness-deafness as a spell. Bestow blindness-deafness. Because if the fight's going right, it would just be so... At the at, If the opportune moment came up, so perfect to either blind a character in a situation where they needed to see or deafen them. I haven't actually created the situation where I would use it, but I, I do regularly choose it as a spell in my NPCs.
0: We'll get to deafened in a second, and I think that I think that there's some interesting counterpoint between blinded and deafened. But we'll get to there in just a second. In the meantime, we're going to move on to the next one, which is charmed. Now, especially with all the prevalence of Feywild material, charmed is one of those one of those conditions that is sort of having a renaissance, uh, so to speak. Here, I think, in, in at a lot of tables as more Feywild stuff is starting to come about. Lewinika, how much are you using charmed right now?
1: I use Charmed a lot, but I tend to use it in its most mild form. Just uh, lessening or increasing emotion versus utter control. I love this as an ability for NPCs to use on other NPCs. So bad guys using it on the party's friends, I love doing. Showing what a bad guy can do. As a storyteller, I am very cautious about player agency and while charm doesn't usually rob entirely from agency it can sometimes give that feeling to a player if they feel boxed in or boxed out so i try to be very careful when i apply that now that said players using charmed i love when they do that so all of my fake players i think it's fantastic when they can utilize that and bring that to the table against an enemies simply because of that. The ca- only caution is you got to make sure you know your fae-inspired or fae-created characters, elves, half-elves, things like that. you got to know where they have immunities, where they have resistances, yep. and manage that very carefully. It's very hard to retcon. Oh, they were charmed. Yep. Oh, yep. they weren't charmed. Oh, they should have been charmed. Oh, they shouldn't be. So that's my big yeah. caution, is when charm comes into play, <laughs> know who the target is know what their resistances are know who's partially fey that type of yep. thing that yeah.
0: happened in the uh, the second actual play session remember when when simian uh, pulled his best Simeon impression and went running off into the room with the werejackals as as the scene played out uh, he ran through the door got charmed to sleep and then the door slammed behind him locking the rest of the party out on the street watching this happen um See me as a half-elf. That shouldn't have been able to happen. You know, I mean, we rolled with it because I don't think either one of us caught that at the time. But but by rule, yeah, that shouldn't have happened. So that's something to go ahead and keep an eye out. And that's a that's a really key part that elves are basically immune to charming.
2: And for the most part, I really agree with what Lee said in terms of player agency and trying not to, you know, really make a player feel like they're being forced to act in a way that their character doesn't want to. So I don't mm-hmm. use it against players very often. But the wording for just the conditioned isn't that bad. It's not actually agency stealing beyond the fact that they can't attack the charmer yep. with harmful abilities or effects. Right. Right. But then the, with the charmer having advantage on ability checks to interact socially with the creature, well at that point, okay. So if I charm a player and then now that I have advantage, as opposed to convincing them, I tell them, you know, oh, well, I'm sorry, she won her Persuade check because she had advantage, so now you have to do this. You know, that's, again, you know, you're, you're, you can yeah. be messing with the agency that way. Right. The role player that's open to it can roll with it and have a great time with it. Yep. But that it's a player's is- bread and butter. I mean, you charm yeah. everybody NPCs it, all the time, getting that advantage on social. That's that's yeah. the that is a player condition.
0: This one very much has kind of the distinction of being a non combat condition too, right? That's very much right. a social role playing condition. And I I do hear what you're saying about you know oh the player is charmed and now they've been persuaded and they have to go do the thing. Yeah, I mean that's I think that that is an over an an overstep on what a persuasion check is, right? Like. It's like the example that we've talked about before, right? Like, if you charm the town guard, right, and then to gain advantage on the persuasion check to convince the town guard to abandon his post so that you can sneak in and steal the gold, I mean, the town guard is still going to be a town guard who is still not going to want to abandon his post because that's how he makes his salary to go ahead and pay for you know his family and his kids and all that sort of thing so it's like so a, a persuasion check you could you can go ahead and and persuade a town guard that yeah I really want to get in there and you should let me there's still something to be said for a persuasion check is not a magical thing there are magical persuasion right, no. which is agency stealing but just a simple persuasion check is not necessarily going to be you know it's like the uh, it's, it's it's like the bard that persuades the king to give up his crown right like that's not actually the way that that's not gonna happen yeah it's not gonna happen
2: You rolled your 20 so he doesn't have you executed or throw you in the dungeon and he laughs about
0: it yeah now he just thinks that you're funny i just want to make sure that we're being upfront about that too right it's like it's like charmed is powerful because again gaining advantage on a thing is always better than not having advantage on a thing right and it is it's one of those things that you've really got to make sure that you understand who can and can't be charmed because like Look, charmed does not say that the individual doesn't know that they're charmed, right? And so, like, Glenn, if all of a sudden you charmed me and tried to persuade me to go ahead and jump off a bridge, right, I would probably piece together that something, because that's an unusual thought for me to have. I'd probably be able to piece that together. So, all right. Let's talk about Deafened here for a second, because I think that Deafened and Blinded has a really nice counterpoint with each other. Glenn, you mentioned it with with how you picked up the spell Blindness-Deafness, and use it uh, effectively as uh, as a defensive kind of countermeasure um, to go ahead and help your big bads get away. I'll elaborate on that point a little bit more for me.
2: So... To be fair, I haven't actually used it with the exception of once, but I, I often take this spell, whether it's going to be as an escape mechanism or if the fight's going really well, but they're not going to go for the kill. You know, kind of like Bestow Curse can be a good time, right. too, where for for your impotence, I strike you blind and send you on your merry way kind of thing. And it can be a good time. I've only actually pulled it off once, but I pull it in all the time. Yep. Um, Deafened, I like Deafened, but I think Deafened actually gets... I don't want to say left out in the cold a little bit, but I think you should have a second bullet point, too. I think there should be more to deafened than just you fail all checks that require hearing. Like, as an example, how easy is it to sneak when you can't hear how loud you're being?
0: I mean, as somebody who recently got hearing aids, I can tell you for sure that not knowing how deaf I was before I got hearing aids, boy, I have been yelling at people for a really long time, and I'm really sorry. (laughs) I totally agree with you, Glenn. I think deafened is one of, those, one of those conditions that could have a little bit more oomph. But again, if we're being realistic, I'm not sure what the oomph would be, right? Like, I don't know what so, you would, you know, ma- disadvantage on stealth, I guess, maybe? Disadvantage I would on say,
1: perception? I would say disadvantage on dexterity saves. And here's why I'll say that. Ha- having been in a situation where I was firing a weapon in a concrete cylinder without hearing protection, I was dizzy for about 12 hours because of the ringing, the tinnitus type sounding in my ear. It kept me like going sideways because it threw off my equilibrium. So I think disadvantages or detriments to one's AC would be legitimate. Maybe not as significant as a minus two, but I could see a minus one to your AC because you're not hearing the strike coming at you. There's a number of ways it could go. I think it's kind of fine as is, because it is that kind of nebulous thing. You have so many senses. We have five senses that we talk about commonly that are all working in concert, removing one. Other things tend to pick up. The question is how fast. So, you know, it also comes into how long are you deafened? If you're deafened for 10 minutes... You're gonna have many more effects than if you're deafened for a single round. If we're talking the real world, in the game sense, I think it's okay where
2: it is. Yeah. See, nope. I kind of like where you were headed with with your aspect on the deafness and AC. The downside is that without creating like a conditional condition and overcomplicating the system, it's it is tough to figure out the extras for deafened because yeah, you you when firing a weapon or when dealing with anything concussive or getting your ears boxed, you can't hear and your equilibrium's thrown off. But part of that is because of the concussive force echoing in your head hitting your eardrums etc whereas if you get hit with a spell blindness deafness and you're just poop deaf and can't hear you're not going to have that equilibrium loss you're not going to have any dexterity issues maybe disadvantage on perception definitely disadvantage on stealth i would think but if you have a creature that does some
1: huge sound effect having it apply deafness and stunned Failure save, you get both conditions. Makes sense.
2: Create shell shot.
1: Versus one or the other. So I think the key is how we use it as storytellers, how it's applied. If you're like the whole building collapsed and fell and you're like, look, I got to do something. It can't be as simple as 10 hit points. This whole building exploded or they were sitting right next to a cannon when it went off. You know, I need to do something more than just this. And the idea is then... Do the single save at a single DC, but have two conditions applied. Or perhaps it's two conditions upon failure, only one of the conditions upon success. I'm thinking of like a
0: lair condition that is just a tremendous wind, right? That is so strong that you can't hear, you can't effectively talk, you know, your conversation range is knocked down to 15 feet, you can't hear anything, and you know, and you've got disadvantage on ranged attack weapons or something like that, right? It's it's definitely one of those things that stacks well with other right things outside of the kind of the condition list, right? But but by itself, it needs a little bit of oomph, so. Talking about Oomph, though, I will talk about uh, the next one on our list here, Frightened. I love this condition and it is one that I was gleefully able to use to tremendous effect uh, again we talk about the Patreon AP in episode 3 there the book of the raven that that battle at the end of of episode 3 when the party was fighting the carrion crawlers and the scarecrow the scarecrow was able to use frightened to tremendous effect in that combat even to the point of I remember when our 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 dragonborn Kilvarax tried to turn the scarecrow only to realize that scarecrows are a construct and it couldn't be turned, that was a moment where, where Kil'Varix may not have had the frightened condition by fighting the, uh, the Scarecrow, but Kil'Varix was now frightened because he realized that his, his, uh, his holy power of Io was not enough to overcome this foe. Frightened is a condition that I absolutely love. Absolutely love it. So,
2: I think it's a great condition too, but I think it gets, rules-wise, it appears in like everything.
0: It really does. It is a little overused. It's
2: it's, it's one of the most common... What what, what do we do here? How do we add another feature to this subclass? Oh, I know. We'll throw in the frightened condition. They can frighten people. The reason they do that is because it's awesome and because it makes sense. So it's important not to get kind of bogged down by that. Yep. Because if you think about the concept of wading into medieval battle wielding swords and sorcery Mm -hmm. and, you know, any moment you could breathe your last... Fear's got to be running rampant across the battlefield. That just makes sense. I mean, for anybody who's ever been in a fight, you got to know that even if you're good at it, you're still scared.
0: I mean, yeah. There, there's so, a moment when you are in a line of 1,000 people about to go ahead and charge across the field to another line of 1,000 people. That, that little voice in the back of your head says, what the fuck are you doing?
2: Right. So having that one guy with the big demonic helmet and the yeah. and the frickin' four-foot mall that he's just knocking guys <laughs> left and right with... Right. He's going to intimidate you a little bit if he's coming at you, and you're going to maybe shy off in the other direction for a less murderous (laughs) opponent. (laughs) Frightened is a a wonderful condition, and everybody should use it. And its mechanics are not
0: overbearing, right? If you think about Mm -hmm. blinded, right, you've got kind of an advantage and disadvantage kind of situation. It's kind of a a two-hitter frightened does not have that like it's got the condition where you can't move closer to the target of your frightened A very run away very niche but a very niche kind of effect right can't move any closer that's that's really nice and you have disadvantage on stuff right so Mm -hmm. you kind of don't get that double whammy so it balances nicely it scales nicely
1: i think with many of the conditions that we're talking about when they're applied by villains in combat or in these encounters you get the opportunity once per turn to remake your save and therefore you may not have it consistently and i think yeah for that's most effects very that's important. the case yeah so i think that's very important generally when i see frightened it's uh you get to redo the save each round it's rarely all-encompassing forever kind of thing and right. i think that's what makes
2: it workable huh.
1: what was you it's a lot of fun to use as a storyteller it gives your characters your players additional problems to solve I can't get closer. What's my what's my range weapon? It really takes characters and say, you may focus on one thing, but it's not a good idea to totally dump stat the other in, in that case because there are going to be times where you may need that ranged attack.
0: All right, so let's carry on here. The next one is, again, a really commonly used condition, almost to the point that I'm not sure it's even necessarily thought of as a condition because it's more seen as a kind of a natural extension of combat tactics, and that's the grappled condition. Grappled is also one of those conditions that has sort of a a, a chain of events, right? Like you can go from grappled to prone to stuff like that, you know, and it is the first one that we have seen here in the list, if I remember correctly, that actually ends if your character gets incapacitated, which again makes sense. You know, I think in our our pre-show discussion, uh, Glenn, you were talking about this, when you're holding their arms behind their back and they're grappled and your buddy is kicking the crap out of them, right? Once they go incapacitated, you're not really grappled with them anymore. You're kind of holding a sack of potatoes. So
2: Right. Or if they're petrified or whatever else, it's causing them to be incapacitated. They're stiff as a board or something, but they ain't fighting back no more.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. There's no more grappling. The beauty and the caution I have about grappled is we need to understand the specific language. There is the specific action grapple. So if I'm a player character, I'm in a combat, I choose to grapple as my attack. That is different than the grapple condition. If I am successful with the grapple attack, I then have applied the grapple condition. And so it's important Requesting when the players the bridge, right? are utilizing these techniques or playing that we understand what's being said. It's a challenge when you're doing video gaming, because if someone's mic cuts out as they're speaking, you might miss some of that nuance. It can be a challenge. So it is imperative upon storytellers, this is my caution, to really pay attention to the specific wording that people are using when they're talking about, I'm going to use my attack to grapple or, um, is so and so grappled, so on and so forth. So that's where the condition rings come into play. If you've got uh, that ability, that's where color coordinating what you do it with your given terminals. Yeah. I can that when I do owl bear, I'll say yellow is grappled or yellow is prone, green is grappled or something like that so that when I put up those conditions, it's it's visible. And you want to talk about that as a storyteller, especially in the video terminal thing, because it's very easy to lose track. So if you, the storyteller, are using some kind of coordinate, color coordination at the top of each round, just do a quick recap. Hey, remember, all the ones in green are currently grappled, or all the ones that are yellow are yep. currently prone, and then move forward. Don't name off yep. every condition. Just name off the conditions that apply to the scenario you're in.
0: It very much goes to what Glenn, was you were saying at the beginning of the episode that that management of conditions is a very real. That's one Challenge. of those things that, as a storyteller, that you've got to be on top of. Like that, there are very few times when, as a storyteller, you have a hard and fast. This is something that you must be doing right now. Right, management of conditions is one of those. Your players are going to expect you to have the awareness to know how the battlefield is laid out and who's doing what. So use whatever chips and tricks you need to to, to to do that effectively.
2: Even though it's used a lot, is and should be kind of something that storytellers and players are familiar with and has in their back pocket. Because at some point, yep. you're going to be in that scenario where just stabbing the guy with a pointy end is not the solution. Where he's trying to escape and you need to stop him, or where he's trying to flip a switch and you need to stop him but not kill him. Yep. It's going to come up. Um, In fact, my favorite use of grappled ever comes from a monster that's like built in with like a chain of effects. And I used it most recently in one of my games with my Boiling Seas group. It it was pretty fun to have the the tank be the guy that this happened to. I don't know if anybody else (laughs) out there really uses Shambling Mounds much, but they're... You They're should. a good time. They're not <laughs> incredibly powerful. It wasn't a huge challenge for, for my group because it's a large group and they waded through its hit points really quick, but it doesn't change the fact that when its slam attack first hits, you it immediately applies the grappled condition as it just slings out these tentacles of garbage and vines, right? So now you're grappled. If you can't break free on the next round, any creature grappled by it, it engulfs. So it basically just pulls you inside of it. And now you're... Yeah. Engulfed, blinded, restrained. And everybody's reaction when this pile of vegetation and crap just sucked their tank inside of itself and ate him (laughs) was pretty great.
0: While we were talking about grappled, we mentioned incapacitated, and that's the next one on our list here. Very straightforward, very simple. You can't do anything, right? right? You cannot take actions, you cannot take reactions. I do wonder, it does say, it does not mention them specifically, but I guess technically bonus actions are actions, right? Mm -hmm. So, you basically, you cannot do anything. You are, it doesn't say you have, there are several reasons why you could be incapacitated, one of them being that you're at zero hit points and stuff like that. But, you know, but again, very straightforward. And this is kind of the end-all be-all of conditions.
1: If I'm looking at the most, one of the more recent DM screens, specifically the Explorer one, the Wilderness one, it does state verbatim an incapacitated creature cannot take bonus actions or reactions
2: incapacitated being listed on its own is kind of weird and it bothered me for a long time and then i realized that it's just because it's a catch-all because they know there's a scenario they haven't thought of yet Because incapacitated as a condition is applied by a gazillion other conditions. Like if if you're paralyzed, you're incapacitated. If you're petrified, you're incapacitated. If you're unconscious, you're incapacitated. I think they threw in incapacitated just so that if there was some other scenario they hadn't come up with yet where you were completely unable to do stuff, you were incapacitated. Whether it be... Tied up, stuck in tar. Catch-all is
1: the best way to describe it for storytellers out there. If this is uh, going to be something that's done, let it happen naturally through one of the other conditions or through a spell that either depletes hit points or do something else. I would be wary of simply saying, oh, this magic ring does X all the time. I would be wary of that. I wouldn't say take it off the table because look, this is a game. Your table is your table. If you've got lore and story that gives that credence, and you've given your players fair warning so they know that this is out there in the world, what you got to do. Rock on with your bad self. Who am I to judge? But I would definitely <laughs> take caution with specifically going for this condition on a frequent basis, because there's nothing more agency-stealing than you have to sit down and watch the whole rest of the party have the combat.
0: Yep. Well well notedly, Winiko, so... Next one on the list here is uh, Invisible, and I will say that one of the things that I like most about Invisible—it's a little funny as a—again, it's one of these uh, the conditions that's actually kind of a positive thing because you're making yourself invisible. But one thing that I really liked about Invisible was the parallelism between being invisible and going against a opponent that is blinded. Right? They have the same mechanical effect, which is which is really—it's a really nice, elegant tie together <laughs>
1: for those two.
0: But this is kind of the only condition that's
1: actually a positive thing, yeah. I love the fact that it's consistent. I would be worried if it did it differently, but because of the way it's done, it is the opposite side of that same coin, and that works very well. It feels and is very accurate and correct to what the game mechanics try to express, and I think that's that's an awesome way to do it
2: it's probably one of the most commonly used conditions by storytellers and players alike because there are so many magical means. Oh yeah. To becoming invisible. Yeah. Undead um, creatures sneak as long as you're below their perception, you're effectively yep. invisible, you know. So it's used constantly by both sides.
0: Next one on the list here, a paralyzed. So again, Glenn, we talked about this earlier with incapacitated. One of these effects that grants incapacitation with additional to that. So incapacitation, again, basically can't take actions or reactions as well. A paralyzed creature automatically fails strength and dexterity saving throws and attack rolls against the creature have advantage, (laughs) which again, sort of sounds like it belongs in incapacitated, right? Like if I'm attacking somebody that's incapacitated, that attack should have advantage. Or automatically succeed, right? And then any attack that hits the creature is a critical hit if the attacker is within five feet of the creature. I like that. I like that rule. I don't like that it has to be within five feet of the creature, right? Because if, like, if, uh, if, if the dude is paralyzed and I shoot them with an arrow uh why is that not a critical hit but if i walk up to them and and punch them or stab them with a dagger that one is
1: it's because it's uh, you're you're hitting a target is no different at distance than not hitting somebody who's standing directly in front of you in melee combat if they're not moving is easier doesn't change much doesn't change significantly at range Hmm.
2: there is a bit of a change because the person is not going to dodge, they're not going to see anything coming, they're not going to be reactive to combat. So they would be an easier target yeah. to hit, but not as easy. Because you might be the greatest greatest archer in the world, but does that mean you're going to put an arrow through somebody's eye every time? Not necessarily, but I guarantee you that if you're paralyzed and nobody's stopping me, I could place my dagger against your eye and just drive it in. I'm not going to
0: That's fair. I would that's also why argue... it's a
2: critical hit, because yeah. I can pick a vital spot and be certain to hit it.
0: Okay, I guess I would say. I guess I would say then. Yeah, attackers already point, have advantages. So, yeah, it would nope. still
2: be easier to hit as a.
0: Yeah.
2: With a ranged attack too, but there's no way to create that distinction with just a, the advantage yeah. disadvantage. I guess system.
0: just advantage. Yeah, I guess just advantage then, and then maybe plus to two to, from-
2: to hit. For yeah, but then
0: attacks. that gets, clunk- that, gets but that adds clunky another start- mechanic that makes it yeah. clunky. Yeah.
1: Right. yeah, and it wouldn't yeah. change the fact that it's the critical hit has to be the critical hit. So exactly uh, right. Like a plus I, I think two it doesn't works pretty well. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yep. Do you want early access to every Tabletop Journeys episode? How about exclusive content, live broadcasts, and the chance to throw dice with your favorite hosts and fellow fans? Or, heck, do you just want to support the show? Join our Patreon today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. We have tiers to fit any budget for a monthly commitment, or you can make a one-time contribution to the cause. We love doing this show for y'all, and support helps us keep creating and producing great content for you. So join us today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. on the list here. here we go. Petrified. So a petrified creature is transformed along with any non-magical object it's wearing or carrying into solid inanimate substance usually stone its weight increases by a factor of 10 and it ceases aging creature is incapacitated can't move or speak and is unaware of its surroundings attack rolls have advantage creature automatically fails strength and dexterity creature has resistance to all damage now that's an interesting effect of being uh, petrified well if Um, you get turned
2: to stone by Medusa you know it's harder to stab you through the eye
0: yeah it's hard to poison you when you're stone. exactly yeah Mm -hmm. you know and like creature is immune to poison and disease although a poison or disease already is System is suspended, not neutralized. So that's so that's a that's a kicker, right? You got your you've got your uh, your your bard that got poisoned he's down to one hit point, petrify petrify him him. to Go ahead and <laughs> to keep them safe for a little bit uh, until you can bring them to a cleric to heal them and. <laughs> You know, I think that that's kind of a that's kind of a nifty. You it's know, a, it's
2: a, it, it, yeah, but now your now your hundred and thirty pound bard weighs one thousand three hundred pounds of stone <laughs> right, amber right, yeah, or yeah, whatever you've petrified yeah. him into. Yeah, hope it, you got a wagon.
0: It it it, it it's encasing oh, yeah. Han, Han Solo in, in carbonite. Carbonite, right? I mean, yes. Yeah.
2: Except he floated. You didn't Not have fair. to carry him.
1: That's true. No disintegrations. <laughs>
2: I do like petrified, though. I think it's really well-written. I mean, it covers the gambit of what petrified would mean.
0: Um, yeah, it really does. Yeah.
2: And, you know, you you see it even in yeah. the video games. Like, you go back well, and is... play Baldur's Gate 2, you can yeah. de-petrify the cleric. I cannot remember her name in the carnival.
0: Is there anything that petrifies other than Medusa's, though? is That's kind of an underused
2: condition, I think. basilisks.
1: There are probably yeah, okay. spells somewhere that would come to There around. are spells for
2: petrified. Yep, yep. yep. Okay. Uh, it's not the most common condition. It feels but it's underused. Really yeah, exactly. Well written.
0: <laughs> yeah. I guess all that to go ahead and say that like, yeah, find reasons to use it more because well, well,
2: right, think it. the reason well, that's that it's awesome. so well written is because it's so specific. And things that are super specific don't get used all the time. Just use them at awesome, dramatic, opportune times.
1: Yeah. Well let's also awesome. bear this in mind for storytellers out there that are thinking about how to employ this, that is a TPKer. If you have a creature or a situation that can create petrification, and it can do that on a regular basis in the course of a combat, that could TPK a party in a heartbeat. So, Poison, one of those
0: conditions that appears all the time, right? Uh, I do Poison damage. Me, Josh, the storyteller, just by talking to people do Poison damage, right? Is it overused, or is it just ubiquitous? Like, is it just everywhere?
1: I use Poison a lot. But I tend to change it, because there's a couple different things. There's poison damage, and then there's the poison condition. Now, every time that you do poison damage, does it apply the poison condition? However, I will frequently have characters that utilize a special type of poison that does the condition and the damage. So that you get both, and then there are times that I'll have them do one and not the other. Okay.
2: I think poison is a little bit weird. And the reason, I mean, I I, kind of dig it. I get... You want a general poison condition for a lingering poison that's going to show that your body's being affected, so you got disadvantage in attack rolls and ability checks. right? But what I think they should have done instead of the poisoned condition, since they made the general poisoning act into just a straight instant damage for most times when poison is applied, for the condition, the condition should have been specific to the poisons. And they should have come up with a few. And they haven't
0: that's that's a that's a it's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah.
2: It's 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 a lot. But I mean some poisons will have you racked with fever and barely able to move. <sighs> but yeah again, we're not trying to create a reality simulator. So what they did is good. They I, I retract my previous statement. They boiled it down to a general condition and they did a good job of it. Yeah, I don't love the mechanic. It does a good job of encompassing all of the different weird possibilities. So, so yeah. it depends on your
1: game, and it depends on the lines and veils
2: that your table is using,
1: right? So I have a game where I have characters who, who may or may not do things like this. So in my game, World Land of 18 C's, there are <clears throat> poisons that do specific things. So you can get a poison that does, you know, put it on a dagger. It does your piercing damage. It does an extra D4 of poison damage. Then they get to roll a constitution save, and if they fail... It can apply the blindness condition for Mm. X amount of
2: time. And that's part of where I was headed in my head earlier. Yeah.
1: It can give you uh, paralyzed, it can give you incapacitated. Basically, a poison can be used as when I use poison in Land of 18 Seas. Anytime I say this is poison damage, Mm. it can do, it can apply any of the conditions, or it can be just straight up poison damage generally, it is one of them. And if I don't have something specific that's thematic to the villain or the situation, or I don't need it to be a a big plot point, I will probably go with the general poison condition. So it covers that, oh, I feel a little squirrely, versus something difficult. And a lot of times, I will have it success on the save gets you the poison condition. Failure gets you the other condition that was intended.
2: You know, well said, because... If I decide I want to design my own evil version of Iocane Powder that doesn't just instantly kill you but does some other weird stuff, I can do yeah. that, and I can make it apply other conditions, and that's a fabulous point.
0: Well, I guess that I I wish that the Poisoned Condition had more oomph, right? Because, like, here's the deal, right? If I gain the Poisoned Condition, and I never do anything about it, sure, I have disadvantage on attack rolls and ability checks until I get it taken care of. But there is no, like, cumulative effect of being poisoned. And I know that we're not trying to make a real world simulator, but if I was, if I sat there poisoned for three weeks, Mm -hmm. there would be a cumulative effect of the fact that that poison had been coursing through my body. So I would prefer, you know, honestly, like looking at it, what I would prefer is if poisoned instead of giving a disadvantage on attack rolls and stuff like that, because I, I, I guess that that makes sense, but I would rather see it do something like, you know, lose one point of constitution per day that you're that you're poisoned and then when you get healed you you regain a point of constitution for each day that you basically don't act maybe that's maybe that's too much though is that too much yeah you're making
2: the poison that i was talking about a second ago where you're inventing your own and designing how you want it to be because poison doesn't last forever it has a duration it'll run through your system and then
1: i will say this josh what i also will tend to do even if it's general Is I may apply the exhausted condition to poison, dude. I've been sitting here thinking about a
2: poison that that is slow, and like once a week you get another level of exhaustion that you can't remove until you get it cured, or it kills you. Like as an evil plot point,
1: and I think it works fine for the game as a whole. The way the game is designed in, in, yeah, okay. in a typical vanilla d setting, healing is so prevalent that honestly, you finish a day with this, maybe a day or two. There are rare situations where you're going to go more than a week before you're back to town and you can't drop a couple hundred gold to have it restored. And you start playing on higher levels, the party healer is going to have greater or lesser restoration. They're going to be able to remove the condition to begin with or you've got a paladin who can remove the condition within a certain period of time. So I don't know if changing it greatly has a huge impact beyond the design elements I put with poisons in general, which are, there's a primary condition, poisoned is the fail state.
0: Okay, let's move on to prone. this. This is the one that is always a little funny for me. In a world when we have grappled and restrained, where does prone fit? I mean, mechanically, like you've got three conditions that do roughly the same thing. So is there a way to kind of distill that, I guess, is kind of the best the best way to go ahead and put it?
2: I don't disagree. The list of of (coughs) conditions is long. And I often I'm like, there's got to be a way to to make this a little bit smaller so it's more easy to manage. But But, But you really can't. I mean, grappled is different than prone. Prone is just you, you're, you're, you're down. You're, you're, you're knocked down. It doesn't mean that you can't move. It just means you are no longer on your feet.
0: Sure. So grappled is different than prone. Yes. But is... Sorry. Prone is a different state than being grappled. Yes. yes. But is being grappled a different state from being prone? That's sure. I th- be, you know what I mean? Like, it's the I other way around. I could be
2: standing up and holding you in a half Nelson or a full Nelson or a sleeper. Or...
0: Okay. But mechanically, the same effect is happening. And I so, guess that's where my point is. It's a distinction without a difference.
1: Well, I think the issue is they did a really great job in the design of fifth edition of making the mechanics very universal so that advantage and disadvantage become catch alls. So you will see them repeated because it's effectively that same thing. What they're basically saying is this becomes more difficult. This becomes easier. And, that would happen in any specific condition right so if you're doing this is your next action going to be easier or more difficult yes or no then apply advantage or disadvantage appropriately so i think you're going to see that mechanic repeat itself and repeat itself and repeat itself because it is that universal and i don't have a problem with it because i that mechanic is as elegant as it is
2: i just wanted to throw in there that part of the reason that Prone has to stay the way that it is, and part of the reason that it needs to be its own distinct thing is because it's not just a negative condition. It's also a positive condition.
0: Oh, that's true. It does have that weird effect where if I'm prone, I attacks against me have disadvantage, don't
2: they? Ranged Only from advanced. ranged. But up uh, close, they have advantage, which makes perfect yep. sense. If you're standing right above you, I can stab you with a sword easy.
0: Yeah, but, but if you're laying on the ground, it's
2: hard to shoot you. But my crossbowmen will go prone for for ranged combat because it makes them harder to hit. Although I I, 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 will I would use say, that condition to my own advantage.
0: I I would say that having a having a glaive or a polearm and being more than five feet away, I can guarantee that if someone laying on the ground would take a whopping from a polearm that's more well, than five feet away. I had always
1: assumed it was advantage for melee and not advantage for five feet. That's an interesting distinction and something I would hope they yeah. clear up in the next evolution of the game.
2: I get what you're saying. Yeah, it should definitely include the reach weapons. The reason I went with five feet is to make sure that it wasn't saying that as an archer, I couldn't stand above you and shoot you just as easily. Well, no, but that's what I was saying.
0: Actually, what I was saying is that if I'm, five feet, if I'm next to you and I'm an archer and you're prone at my feet, I now have advantage on that attack.
1: Yeah, I had totally been playing and misreading that.
2: But yeah. if they said Anybody melee instead of feet. saying within five feet, you wouldn't yeah. be able to do it with the bow and you should right. be able to, exact. so that makes yep. sense.
1: Yeah.
0: Yep. And maybe they're um, saying it's
2: just harder to control a pole arm with that much precision from that distance.
0: <laughs> no, it's not. I, I would disagree.
2: <laughs> I'm not <Yeah>. disagreeing <laughs> with you. I I'm just saying that's maybe disagree. that's what they think, or maybe yeah. they just didn't think of it.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, it's possible. They didn't. I mean, I can tell you when the, when these mechanics were designed, they didn't have bug bears that already had extra reach and then putting a 10-foot pole arm, which could
0: give them 15. The great thing about conditions is that, for the most part, the rules are really elegant, saying that you have advantage if you're within 5 feet or swinging a melee weapon, but either of those conditions not being true means you have disadvantage. You know, it's like, okay, now it's like... Now it it's gets like,
2: convoluted and wonky. Get convoluted it gets convoluted and wonky, right? Yeah. You know, so.
1: Well, I can tell you at okay. my table, it'll be as simple as melee or ranged. Done. Yep. <laughs>
0: okay. So the next one on the list here is restrained and you know again I'm going to I'm going to go back to the same well that I did when talked about grappled right why a condition that is both... Uh, why a condition for grappled and a condition for restrained, right? Grappled, uh, re- speed is zero and can't benefit from a bonus. Same thing. Restrained does not end if you're incapacitated. So I guess that's the difference. Attack rolls, if you're restrained, attack rolls have advantage. Uh, grappled, they do not. And creature has disadvantage on dexterity th- saves if they are a uh, restrained. Basically, and the difference that-
2: between being tied up and having somebody like wrapped around you.
1: Yeah. I Honestly, suppose. the difference is the yeah. yeah. in the artwork. If I'm looking at the DM yeah. screen and I've got two different it's screens the form of factor. Germany, yeah, they show that uh, restrained is somebody being trapped in a web. That's a significantly different position to be in than being grappled. And so that makes sense to me the way they've got it.
2: But you could squash yeah. those two together and it, you could probably come up with something playable.
1: Yeah.
0: Really, what I'm asking is: Are having 14 or 15 conditions too many? Do they get too specific? Are we on the on the cusp of having too many? And so far, the answer is no. That they are all distinct enough that that that
1: they are not that there are not too many. If you combine the two, because of the details within each, it becomes a much more bloated issue, and that. Is where This this is where the list as is becomes very good because there are, yeah. for most things, one, maybe two bullet points. Grappled and yep. restrained are, are two that have three each. If you combine both of those conditions, you may be able to eliminate one, but we're talking about now we've got a condition that's got four separate issues. It feels now like that's going to be a yeah. lot more. And, yep. and, and I think that's probably why they did it. I mean, Petrified is the only one that has a ton. Paralyzed has more than a few. I think the goal is to kind of limit unconscious as a few too now that I'm looking at it. But I think the goal is to kind of limit the amount of bullet points for each one so they're easy yep. to digest and better yet easy to explain. Yep.
0: Okay, next one on the list here is stunned. And man, you know what stunned is a condition that feels like it <laughs> the rules match Something else in the list here, but I just just looked through and there is no combination of these three... Uh, of these three bullet points, but these three bullet points we've seen before, right? So the stunned creature have advantage, they fail on strength and dexterity saves automatically. You know, these are these are all things that we've seen before. What are what are ways that you've, and we talked about this earlier with, uh, with the concussion grenades or standing next to the cannon, uh, Lee Winick, with your story about firing a weapon Absolutely. inside a, a cement tube, you know, the combination of deafened and stunned uh, is a really, really potent one.
1: I can envision uh, a creature with psychic ability getting into You know, they launched this psychic attack, and now you have the stunned condition. There's a number of different things. Like, you see some great horror, you may be frightened of a creature, but the devastation they've left in the town, leaving you stunned as of the condition. I could see that. I could see applying that. Like, if you wanted to, let's say, so your group at your table, you had a veil versus certain levels of uh, horror or death and destruction. So, you walk into a village, you're trying to describe the fact that. Everybody's been slaughtered. You say the village is littered with people who have lost their life to the enemy. There's devastation everywhere. Please roll your wisdom save. You all have the stunned condition because everybody who failed has the stunned condition because of this difficulty. Now you've got a mechanical way to honor your veil Without having to go into that description to get the players to actually be stunned by the, yep. that
0: level. One of the coolest uses of stun that I've seen has been uh, an optional rule where if a character takes more than half of their remaining hit points in a single attack, they gain the stun condition. And I think that that's, that's a very interesting way. It's very much like you just got hit so hard that your grandchildren felt it, right? Right.
3: You know, no, and, and, and I, said, I that like a that. Really new
0: way. Yeah, I like that too.
2: And I've seen a few different, like, well, alternate combat rules to kind of enhance it a little bit. But everything you add, you got to remember, is also adding to the complexity complexity. of the game that they've been trying to streamline. And that's the downside, you know, because we talk about nuance, but you can't have streamlined and nuance without striking (laughs) a balance.
0: We are down to uh, kind of the uh, the queen mother of conditions, uh, and again, it's just because it encompasses so much. Like, there's if you are knocked unconscious, you are a hurting unit. You are incapacitated. You are prone. You're basically failing everything. Everything's got advantage against you. And it, again, it has that that really really interesting mechanic where any attack that comes within five feet of you is automatically a critical hit. I'm not sure that there's much more to be said about unconscious. I mean that that's kind of the uh, it's kind of the the, uh, you're really in a bad way if
2: you're if, if this is happening to you. You done been knocked the f out.
0: <clears throat> so what what actually grants the unconscious condition? I'm 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 trying to think of something that does. Are there specific weapons that
1: do it? Uh,
2: sleep grants sleep? the unconscious condition.
1: There are various poisons that could do it. You could have poisons that do it. I'm sure there are creatures that provide cause sleep. Charm can cause you to hey you're tired take a nap.
2: And aren't there some straight-up KO rules, too?
1: Absolutely. If you go drop to zero hit points... You're,
2: you're, oh, that's true.
0: Yeah, you're unconscious. Like every time yeah. you hit
2: zero hit points.
0: Let's let us crack open the big one that we skipped over before. And the reason why we skipped over exhausted earlier is because, again,
2: an exhausting conversation. It's Jesus. an
0: exhausting conversation. There's a lot to it, right? There are a lot of there are a lot of details in exhausted condition. But basically, exhausted, separate from a lot of the other ones that we've talked about. Is a is specifically a prolonged condition, right? It is it, exhaustion is a condition that is experienced over time and can only it you know it sounds really easy to say that to to beat exhaustion it's it's a condition that is resolved by resting, right? But resting only resolves one level of exhaustion. Exhaustion is one of those things that's much easier to ca- sort of to gain than to lose because right. exhaustion goes away over time, you know? But, you know, again, Glenn, I'm, I'm not sure how much you use it in, in your games and everything. Leo Anika, I know you use exhaustion a lot. I'm trying to be very
1: careful with it. I don't want to overuse it because I do use it frequently, but I use it to build on that exploration pillar and the alternate abilities of various characters and reward player characters for ingenuity and the different things that they, that, that they bring to the table. So the best way for me to describe that is by example. I have a ranger in the party, and I have another player character wizard who has various survival skills. She's an elf, she's used to the environment, that type of thing. So having the ranger do the scouting, pick the campsite, do the survival check to build the campsite, or if the ranger's not available... Having that other character back her up and do this, build the campsite becomes really, really important because a well done campsite means everybody's able to rest well because they're well protected. The one time where they weren't able to get a good campsite and I had that constitution save in the morning to see how well rested they were against the elements, half the party failed. They had that exhausted condition that had an impact in the game. So I'm not trying to do it all the time to to wear them down, but it is to highlight that abilities and ability choices are important. And in my game, because I am so I care so much about that exploration pillar and the resource management, because I'm playing in the far north. If you're going to be playing Icewind Dale, if you're going to be playing Rhyme of the Frost Maiden in these extreme environments, the opposite would be true. If I was in a desert, resource management becomes important easiest way to make resource management become important is have a failure at that resource management result in levels of exhaustion. It also becomes a fantastic time tool for your DM. Like, I break this out of the toolbox. The player characters have various goals. They want to get from point A to point B. You can rush it, but you'll be exhausted when you get there. That means they are fighting at lesser capacity when they get there or you can take their time to get there, you'll be fighting at full capacity. But if at any point you telegraph it to you're on your way, now they're better prepared for you when you get there. I think those make really interesting and dynamic role play choices for your players. So I love this mechanic because it affords all of that and more.
0: So just to kind of go through the effects, level one is disadvantage on ability checks. Uh, level two, your speed is halved. Level three, disadvantage on attack rolls and saving throws. Uh, level four, your hit point maximum is halved. Level five, your speed is reduced to zero. And then level six, you're dead. So what do we think about those levels of, uh, of exhaustion? Do we think that they are appropriately scaled or or not?
2: I think they are. I kind of like them the way that they are. Sometimes I debate whether or not speed halved and disadvantage on ability checks should be swapped. Yeah. If I go without sleep, I can keep my mind sharp for the first level of exhaustion, usually. But I ain't getting anywhere in a hurry, necessarily. But I've also had days where, you know, I didn't get enough sleep and it was the opposite. Where I just wasn't (laughs) thinking well, but my body felt okay, so
0: speed have is the one that doesn't fit for me like honestly i would have rather see split apart disadvantage on attack rolls and saving throws uh split that into make attack rolls level two keep saving throws as level three and then you know and then the hit points and the speed reduction from there see, speed ha- having your speed is one that that just doesn't It doesn't sing for me.
1: Having been exceptionally tired in the military and having to do different things during basic training, having been exceptionally tired during double sessions when I was in high school getting ready for soccer, or having being exceptionally tired when practicing when I was playing semi-pro football. In all of those endeavors, speed half as part of uh, exhaustion is there because especially on the football field, you still have the ability to dash.
0: But you're never Mm -hmm.
1: going to be as fast as you are if you're fully rested.
0: Let let me ask you this, though. Let's take a look at your football field. Was your speed actually halved, or were you having trouble making dexterity saves?
1: I'm a straight-up-and-down runner. I will tell you my speed to the hole was halved. Guaranteed. Hmm. Because I'm not a dexterous running back. You've Hmm. played football with me. Dexterity (laughs) Dexterity is not my game.
2: With that, I think you just sold me, Josh. I think you're right. I think Because... You can find bursts of speed when you need it, but you can't maintain it. Yeah. So it would be about the constitution save or the deck save. You know, I, yeah. I agree.
0: Look, exhaustion is easily my favorite, I think, <laughs> of all of because I think it's the, it's the most versatile and it's honestly it's the one that it is far and away the one that is a game changer against all of these right it's the one that you can roll out and and it immediately turns the tide for a prolonged period of time like i was saying at the beginning here right and so i think that it's okay to go ahead and look at it and say you know what this one doesn't sing for me and i guess it's one of those things that like i guess because having the speed of a player only really applies in combat rounds that's the part I think that always just made it, just made it tricky.
1: I, I would say this about uh, speed being reduced to zero, only being uh, combat. That is its primary function. But yeah. let's say you're on that, that road and you're trying to get from point mm-hmm. A to point B, as in my example, and you're trying to yeah. push it. If you're getting exhausted along the way, now you're not even getting there faster. So now you get there and you've had those extra opportunities for them to know you're coming right. because you're actually getting like- there slower.
2: Like Gimli, Legolas, and Aragorn chasing after the hobbits that had been taken by the Borokai.
0: Speed reduced to, reduce to zero, absolutely agree with you, because that's, I can't move. Somebody needs to move me. You need to put me on the back of the wagon and carry me, right? I meant, I meant speed halved. Speed halved is the one that doesn't fit for me, because that's the one that's only combat specific. I guess in the exploration, you can you can argue in the exploration tier that you're moving slower through the thing, and it's going to impact how far you can get. But, right. you know.
1: I would say this. If you were to tell me in the next evolution they swapped the position of the two, I would be OK with that change because I think they are A1, A2 or B1, B2. I think they are so close and, and to some extent tied that it may be down to the individual. Me as an individual who just went through, as I said at the beginning of the show, being very, very ill. I went through all of these stages up to uh, up to five. I felt like I was done on Wednesday. Right. I had no strength. I couldn't do anything. My mental acuity was almost nothing. You and I talked the day after I rested, and you made the comment. I'm really glad you did that because our conversation the night before, yes, sounded like trash. And to your point, I was probably not making sense. Anything I posted during that morning, please forgive me.
0: I I was thinking about how to go ahead and tweak this in a way that actually, and I'm, I am going to add a little bit of a wrinkle of complexity here. So bear with me. I think take. Speed halved out of it. You can keep speed reduced to zero where it is, split apart disadvantage on attack rolls and disadvantage on saving throws. And for every level of exhaustion, your speed goes down by five feet. Love it. It's a I little like bit that. more complicated. It's it. A
1: little bit more that complicated. That is elegant. A little bit.
0: That's a not even
2: complication.
1: That's freaking brilliant.
2: Except yeah. I don't like, I don't object to splitting them but i don't like having disadvantage on a tackles or saving throws being at level 2 because we talk oh, a lot about how powerful and a metric disadvantage and advantage are yeah. it's not a small thing yeah that's to fair. give me a 50% shot at only missing at only being at two levels of exhaustion of straight up missing a dude if i'm trying to throw a punch at him or <laughs> so failing a save just i like five. those coming in at 3 and 4 maybe if you added a level
1: yeah. Yeah. Like made it made it seven levels and just have level two being you're down by five.
0: I hear what you're saying. That maybe it's, that it's more of a three and four, not a two and three thing.
1: I could see that chart being home, being homebrewed mm. in part of any of our tables. I, I mean, I, I think, think, think it more about this yeah. very well. Mm.
2: Yep. Yeah. Yep. We could toss this uh, this this idea around a little bit more. But I really like exhaustion, too. I mostly uh, started using it semi-recently, and I took a page right out of Lee's book in terms of how they're managing their resources and their travel. And it was mostly just because not a single one of them thought to procure any form of tent or camping equipment. Mm. And so on the third day of their journey, they had a terrible thunderstorm all night, so I gave them a level of exhaustion the next day.
0: So we talked a lot about about conditions and how to bring conditions to your game specifically as a storyteller to up your storyteller game and I think exhaustion is sort of the ex- exhaustion sort of the peak of that mountain right it's like bringing exhaustion in as a storyteller, it really it, it's like it's like the number one condition that you should be introducing to your game if you want to go ahead and take it to to the next level. And I'm actually I'm, I'm chewing through in my mind here how to open up because that's the other thing that we said about conditions is that they're not just a storyteller thing; they're also a player thing, right? There are Bruh, players I just that can charge. Their players. Yeah, because it's only story because there are the no-
2: only storyteller only condition
0: that's, you just stole my fire
2: my bad. i'll shut up
0: i had that about five minutes ago that's like yep that's the one so i'm trying to figure out ways that players could could superimpose exhaustion on their environment and i i i think it's it would have to be like a magic weapon spell kind of situation where where they could go ahead and do that because there is nothing right now that allows a player to go ahead and impose any conditions of exhaustion
1: i think the answer to your quandary is this It depends on the level of the game you're in, right? So if you're playing a deeply involved campaign where everybody's deep in, they're getting into the nitty gritty. They've got those deep backgrounds that we talk about all the time. They're getting into the role play. They're digging into all three of the pillars, having your player characters work the enemy. So the enemy is having to struggle to get to a point. So the enemy is arriving uh, exhausted or the players have constructed this fortress at the top of the mountain, where they're holed up at the top of the mountain, having your enemies, like, just as a player, just saying to the DM, hey, they just had to climb a mountain. Wouldn't they be exhausted?
2: Yeah. You know? No, there's definitely uh, ways you could do it. Like, you know, if I, I, your I, players, through not- sheer brilliance, me- make the enemy have to do a forced march to meet them, you could apply exhaustion to the enemy there there are ways it could be done it's just not yep. designed specifically to be yeah. intrinsically that way
0: like i'm trying to think of a way that that as a player they could force me to make my non-players do a forced march to them like i i look i am sure that there are wily enough players that could make me do that i'm pretty hard pressed to think of how that was my actually. answer to that is if
1: i'm ha if i have a Uh, a battle master or a samurai or a purple knight or somebody who's in this military organization. And I built this or a thief mastermind, a rogue mastermind, and they are plotting and they are making their roles against the enemy faction. So you've got a faction versus faction kind of thing. And the player's faction is outsmarting the enemy. They may trick the enemy into trying to be there. Like they could, Let's say it's an elaborate ruse. They've sent out false information. They've done all the spying and the stuff. Like if you get here before sunset, their their defense could be will a be reward down. too. The the you bad guy is going to force march.
0: You've got to stop reading my notes because you probably can't see it. But right there, talk about how to use conditions and skills challenges.
1: Done. So here's the deal. I'm not reading your notes. It's really fine print up via the VTT screen, but we are not of separate minds on the ways in which these things do. That's why we do the podcast the three of us together. Because on some level, we are all thinking about hey, if I'm the player, how would I do it? Now I'm the storyteller. How do I facilitate so players could play it that way? And skills challenges. Hey, you got an enemy. They're coming in Enforce Alta right yep how do you what are you going to do to improve your odds well the players all say well if i do this i do that i do that that's a skills challenge whether they recognize they're doing that or not and then you decide as a storyteller well that's going to cause them to be less strength less archers you know what they're all now because they fell for the trap they're going to come in faster they didn't have their great supply line so they don't have enough food so that might supply exhaustion because they don't have enough food to sustain them there's a number of different things you could do with that type of information depending on how the players run
2: like this one time in lee's game when we had three days notice that we were going to be defending this village and we i spent Three days casting create water in the fields around the village for mud, and we barricaded streets, and yeah. we had yeah. to invent like three times the original force. It was a good to time to make it a challenge. I mean, we-
0: so let's, let's put a cap on this here, though, So, or try to go ahead and wrap it up a little bit here. Anything other to say about conditions other than storytellers use them, players understand how your characters can also use conditions, because it's really, it is a, a next-level mechanic. Anything other to say than
1: beyond that? Would, as a final word, I would say look at your subclasses and the things that they do as a player and see how you can impact and create condition situations battle masters it's easy those maneuvers specifically do that arcane archers some of them do that there are certain things that happen because of the way features are written but even if they're not as a player work with your your party members one of the best things you can do is work with your party get to know what your party members do and work with them so you combined. If one of you can't create a condition, two of you combined almost always can. It's about working together. Glenn and I have done an amazing job with that in Streams of Spiro. Synergy is everything. And it's about that that unspoken knowledge and talk between players and understanding between players that comes with time and it comes with knowing people at your table. If you're at tables where you don't know people, that's why you do the role play bits. The roleplay bits are to get that level of understanding, player to player, character to character, so that you can create these really dynamic situations.
2: Player or storyteller, go over the list, take a look at them, get familiar with them, find the ones that you like, weigh them conditionally against each other so that you can make sure you choose the best conditions to use based on the conditions in which you find yourself.
0: Well, thank you very much everybody for for listening tonight. I hope that you enjoyed it. But uh, gentlemen, as always, thank you very much for taking your time out this evening. Thank you for a fabulous conversation. Like this is exactly the conversation that I wanted to have on conditions. I know that that I I learned about as always from talking to you guys about this stuff. So, it was a good time. Thank you much for
2: joining. No, it was great tonight. Good talk.
0: Thank you for joining us this evening. I hope that you enjoyed and uh, we will talk to you again next week. Have a good night. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the
1: podcast.
2: And make sure you join our growing online community. You can follow us on Twitter at TT Journeys and join us on Facebook just by searching Tabletop Journeys there. You can also reach us by email at podcast at and if you want to catch early access to our episodes and some of the other benefits we have coming down the pipeline, you can also support our production at patreon.com slash ttjourneys.
1: If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, Audible, or any other podcast platform, we would really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to the podcast. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays and every Wednesdays. We'll feature our quest series, where we talk about pretty much anything tabletop oriented. Thank you all so much for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.